0: Being perfect doesn't mean that we're not gonna sin. Being perfect means that we have been made complete. Jesus makes us perfect in the sacrifice because it establishes us as God's holy people who have been brought into a perfect relationship with God through the new covenant.
1: Are you looking for meaning or a word from God that's relevant to your life? Are you searching for a better understanding of who God is? Well, you're in the right place you found the Gary Talks About God podcast. This is a weekly podcast that comes to you from the pulpit of Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. The podcast is hosted by Red Bank senior pastor, Gary Sanders. Now let's get ready to take that walk through God's Word with our pastor, teacher, and friend. Hey, he's that guy we call Gary. Hebrews
0: chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And we will be in verse 1 through verse 18. In case you didn't know, today is Halloween, (laughs) or All Hallows' Eve. If you don't want to call it Halloween, you can call it All Hallows' Eve. It does not matter. Pick whichever one. And one of the things that plays a prominent role in Halloween is shadows, right? (laughs) You, You see the shadows and the outlines, and shadows are interesting Thing, right. Because they can kind of be scary. But if you recognize that it's a shadow, you, you, you're not really scared of the shadow. Right. Because we know that shadows aren't real. Right. Shado- shadows aren't real. Shadow is, is the representation of a reality. Now, when we see a shadow, we get a glimpse of that representation. Right. So if you if you see a shadow. You, you can kind of outline what it's a picture of. You can kind of draw it, but you, you can't fill in all the details, right? You can't fill in the unique attributes of the object that you're seeing. You can't. Your, your shadow is one dimension and, or two, I guess, but the object is three dimensions, so you're going to lose that dimensional aspect. You're going to miss any shading or, or, or lines on the object. You're not going to be able to see all the intricate details, in a shadow, because the real object is always much more robust, much more beautiful, much more revealing than the shadow is. When you come to Hebrews chapter 10 this morning, what the author of Hebrews is doing is connecting the Old Testament sacrificial system with the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And the connection is this, that in the Old Testament what you saw through the sacrificial system, was really just a shadow of the reality of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. So if you want to think about it in terms of how shadows work, you have Christ and the cross and the crucifixion here and the light behind it shining. So in the Old Testament, you could see the shadow. You could, you could know that something better was out there, but you just didn't know enough to know what the better is. And the author of Hebrews says, his sacrifice, the sacrifice of Christ, is so much better than what we had in the Old Testament. In fact, we're going to see this morning that whereas the Old Testament sacrificial system, even though it was instituted by God, was not sufficient to do what Christ did on the cross. So let's read the first 18 verses of Hebrews chapter 10. It says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshippers, having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me In burnt offerings and sin offerings. You have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to you to do your will. O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So this morning, as we look at this passage, I want you to just notice five ways that Jesus' sacrifice sufficient five ways that Jesus sacrifice is sufficient the first one is this his sacrifice is sufficient to take away your sins all right his sacrifice is sufficient to take away your sins one of the aspects of the Old Testament sacrifices and you see this in verse 1 is the word continually they were continually offered over and over and over again and the specific sacrifice that the writer of Hebrews is discuss, discussing at this point is the Day of Atonement. The, the one day, the, I mean, this, this was the biggest sacrifice. This was the annual feast, annual sacrifice where the priests came and made atonement for the sins of all the people. And it, it was a huge day of celebration. And they would do it this year, and then they would do it the following year, and they would do it the following year, and they would do it the following year. And each year, they would perform it the exact same way. There was a script that they had to follow. They would do it this way. They'd bring the bull in. They, they'd slaughter the bull. They'd sprinkle the blood. They'd sprinkle the people. they they'd, All right, that'd be done. The next year, they'd bring the bull in. They'd slaughter the bull, sprinkle the blood, sprinkle the altar, sprinkle the priest, sprinkle the people, over and over and over and over. Every year, it was the same. They continued to do it every year. But it couldn't offer to take away their sins. That's why the the, the writer keeps saying, they kept doing it every year. And then he says, look, had it been sufficient to take away your sins, he makes this really interesting comment in verse 2. He says, "...otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer be consciousness of sins." The writer is saying that they could go to the Day of Atonement, right, and go through the ritual and go through the sacrifice, and they could leave the temple and on the way home, going down from the temple, get mad, get angry, say something that they shouldn't do, lash out at somebody, they could leave the temple and go and immediately commit a sin right after the sacrifice. And at that point, the sacrifice that just happened was not good for that sin. It couldn't take away the forgiveness. If it could, then it'd be all right. But that sacrifice couldn't. So now, that sin kind of goes into your account book, right? If you were, if you were keeping like a, a checkbook of sins, right? All right, Day of Atonement, you know, all right, this is what I did. All right, and then the next day you, you'd write down in your ledger, this is what I did. And the next day you'd write down, this is what you did. And, and all those sins would accumulate through the year. Then you'd go back to the Day of Atonement. Bam, the sins are covered. You're leaving, you're going down, and what do you know? <laughs> it happens again. You just you can't. You can't get ahead. There's there's no forgiveness of sins. There's a reminder of sins every year because the sins are carried forward to the next year. There's a reminder of sins. And that's why he says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. All that they could do was cover the sins. Now, yes, it was a covering that in the sacrificial system was acceptable to God, but it couldn't take them away. It just covered them so you you couldn't see them. But they remained. They were still there. The only sacrifice sufficient to take away the sins of people is the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on the cross. That is why when John the Baptist looks out and sees Jesus, do you remember what John the Baptist says? Behold the Lamb of God that what? Takes away the sins of the world. Because the blood of the bulls and the goats could not. Yet when Jesus dies on the cross for our sins, our sins at that point are forgiven. Now, there's no more need for sacrifices. There's no more need for bulls and goats. Our sins are no longer covered. They are forgiven. His sacrifice is sufficient to forgive us of our sin, or to take away our sins. Jesus' sacrifice is also sufficient to make you holy. The the writer here quotes Psalm 40. It's an interesting choice, right? Because when you read what the writer says, and he goes back and he's quoting Psalm 40, the first thing he says is, "...sacrifices and offerings you have not desired." Okay, okay. If, you, if you're like me, you're thinking, but God, you gave a whole book of sacrifices and offerings, and, and you spelled them out, and, and you discussed them. How then are you not pleased, or how, how do you not desire these sacrifices and offerings?" psalmist goes on, as the Hebrew writer says, It says, says, look, you've not taken pleasure in these. What you have taken pleasure in, in verse 9, is that I've come to do your will. Now, when you look at this, and you take all of it together, Jesus says, and, and the, the writer of Hebrews is attributing Psalm 40 to Jesus. And, and here's kind of the logic. It's like, look, you, you want me to do your will, You've given me a body to do your will, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. What God did not desire for Jesus to do was to go to the temple and to assume the position of the high priest and make the offering of the Day of Atonement just like it's been done throughout the sacrificial system. Right? We don't see Jesus doing that. You read through the Gospels, Jesus doesn't go to the temple and look at the high priest and say, hey, can you slide over? I'm, I'm here now. It's, it's my turn to do this. And then we read about Jesus going to do that again in a second. It, it, that's not what he does. Jesus says, You're not, you've not desired these. You've desired for me to come do your will. And in coming to do your will, you have prepared a body for me not to act in the role of the priest in the temple doing the sacrifices, but to come and offer up my body as the sacrifice in which you will take pleasure. And he says, as I do that, and as I come to do your will, it's doing away with the, the first because I'm establishing the new covenant. I'm establishing something better. And by that, by this offering, by my body that you've prepared for me to do your will, that is sacrificed on the cross, he says, by that, in verse 10, people will be sanctified once and for all. Now, sanctified, remember, means to be set apart. And and there's two aspects of sanctification. There is the the initial sanctification where through the blood of Christ you are sanctified, you are made holy, you are set apart to God. And then there's the sanctification process where we continually become more like Christ in our attitude, our thoughts, our actions, our behavior. And what Jesus is saying here is is that first, that that one time that's not repeated. Where his, his... Sacrifice sanctifies us, justifies us, if you will, moves us from being a sinner to a saint. We've been set apart. We have now been set apart from the sin of the world and what is happening in the world. We've been set apart and made part of God's family. And when we have been set apart, when we have been sanctified... Through Jesus, now, we have the ability to be in God's presence, which allows us now to offer up worship that is acceptable to God. Again, go back to the Old Testament. Go back to the sacrifices. Who got to be, all right? So the temple, let's, let's think of the, the, the auditorium sanctuary here as, as the temple, right? It was, it was kind of a rectangle. So this will, be the rec, this will be the temple. And then let's imagine that this wall goes all the way across right here. And this would be the holy place. And then up here you would have the holy of holies. And so in here was where the covenant of, of God was kept, right? And here's where the the high priest and the high priest alone could go that one time a year. Even if you, being part of Israel, you couldn't get this close to God. You could not come into his presence. You weren't sanctified. You weren't holy enough to be in God's presence. So the best you could do is stand out there. and, And in this, we've got to make sure that you understand that the men are closer than the women and the Gentiles, men or women, are even farther back. You can't approach God. You've not been sanctified. Now we have been sanctified through Christ, which says what? Now we can come what? Boldly before the throne. The, the veil, that big heavy curtain, right, that would have been right here, that kept you out has been ripped in half. So now God's presence is here. And it says, through his sacrifice that has set you apart and made his your people. You can just make a beeline right for God's throne. You can be in his presence. And now we can worship. You can worship. You can offer acceptable worship up to God. You don't have to go through a priest to mediate your worship anymore. You have that access because Jesus has made you holy. His sacrifice set you apart and has put you into a sanctified position where you can come into the presence of God and worship Him. Thirdly, this morning, his sacrifice is sufficient to make you perfect. If you look down in verse 11 through 14, again, the writer comes back to this this continual aspect. Repeatedly, the same sacrifices over and over, which can never take away sins. And this time, he adds the posture of the priest as well. It says, every priest stands daily at his service. The priests always stood. When they were ministering before the Lord, they always stood. They did not sit down. You can go back to the book of Exodus and you can read where it describes the temple and the furnishings uh, in in the temple and what needed to go in there. And you can read about the the, the altar showbread and you can read about the lampstand and you can read about the bronze basin and you can read... Everything that is described and how it's supposed to be overlaid with gold and how it's supposed to be carried and where it's supposed to be positioned, you can read about all of this, and you know what you won't find in any of those descriptions? A chair. Nowhere does it describe a chair for the priest to sit down in. The priests stand all the time while they are ministering. They would not sit down in God's presence. They couldn't sit down in God's presence. Why? Because their work wasn't completed. It was never, ever completed. Yes, the Day of Atonement came one day, but there were sacrifices, regular sacrifices made the next day and the next. They were always, always working. That's why, and I think I've told you this many times, that they got to the point where the high priest would would go back into the Holy of Holies and they would do two things. One, they would tie a cord around his waist, and the second thing is they would put bells On his robe. Why? Because when he was in that holy of holy places, as he was moving around, you could hear the bells. But if the bells stopped ringing, something has gone wrong. Because what didn't happen is the priest didn't just decide to sit down in there with God's Ark of the Covenant over here and just kind of, you know, prop his arm up on it and, and all right, I'm just going to kind of. do like this. If those bells stopped ringing, no. What happened is the priest had offended God and now he's dead. Nobody can come in. How do we get him out? Well, we've got to drag his lifeless body out. But they constantly stood, they could not sit down. But what does it say about Christ? But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for God, what does He do? He sat down at the right hand of God. Why? Because it was done. It was finished. It was acceptable. So He could go and He could sit down. He was the perfect sacrifice that did the will of God. And now... That he has sat down and his work is done, it says that we are, now that we are being, that single sacrifice, he has, been perf- per- he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So that's us. We're being made perfect, because his sacrifice was perfect, and he could sit down. Now, being perfect does not mean you don't make mistakes, right? Being perfect doesn't mean that we're not going to sin. Being perfect means that we have been made complete. We have been made whole. Jesus makes us perfect in the sacrifice because it establishes now us as God's holy people who have been brought into a perfect relationship with God through the new covenant. And as we are made perfect it tells us, again in verse 14, he has perfected us, what, for how long? How long are we now perfect? For all time. The sacrifices in the Old Testament had to be done over and over and over because they could not make people perfect for all time for whatever, that, that, that nanosecond that you could remain sinless. Y'all want a fun exercise? Go home and figure out how long you can remain sinless. Right. However long they were perfected from the Day of Atonement, it didn't last. It wasn't a timeless sacrifice. It was a t- sacrifice limited by time. But now Jesus' sacrifice is timeless and has perfected us for all time, which means in our perfection that we are always complete now. We don't need another sacrifice to complete us because Jesus' sacrifice does. And at the same time, because it is perfect and because it is timeless and perfects us and completes us and makes us God's people, it is also the reason that we can live eternally with God in heaven. It's never going to go away. There's never going to be a point in time after you confess Christ as your Lord and Savior where his sacrifice does not perfect you. It doesn't wear off. It's not going to tarnish over time. It is absolutely timeless. And we never have to be worried about going back and being our incomplete self before. His sacrifice has made us perfect. Then number four, his sacrifice is sufficient to bring you forgiveness. Now this kind of ties in with the first point, but the author makes it a little bit differently. And he does that, look in verse 16, he goes and he quotes the Old Testament again. This time he is quoting the prophet Jeremiah about the new covenant. All right, the new covenant where he says, I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, and I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. So that there's, there's a new covenant. The old covenant was a shadow of the new that is to come. And as it comes now, it says His law is going to be on our hearts. It's going to be on our minds. The all-encompassing nature of God's law, of the new covenant, is is all over our being. And that new covenant was inaugurated through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And as the author quotes this, what he is telling us, and what we need to understand is this was not a, a new plan, right? We hear new covenant and think, oh, God just kind of came up with it. It's not like Jesus was walking around Jerusalem and having a conversation with God and saying, hey God, why don't we do it this way? Maybe if I'm the sacrifice, we, we could start something new. God's plan was revealed in the Old Testament so that people could look and see the sacrificial system and say, there's got to be something better to come because when I read Jeremiah, when I hear the prophet, what he is saying, talking about a new covenant, wait a minute, we're under the Moses covenant. What, what is this new covenant? The, the law now is not on our hearts. The law is external. What, what is going to happen? And in telling and prophesying about the new covenant, the, Jeremiah is saying, look, the Old Testament sacrifices, they're but a shadow. Something better is coming. And there's something better, and a, a key part of the, the covenant promise is verse 17, where it says, God will not remember their sins and lawless deeds anymore. He, he won't remember. That was not true underneath the sacrificial system. Why? Because there was still a consciousness of sin. They remained year after year after year. Had they done that, they would have ended long before Jesus arrived. But what is happening when Jesus is on, right? Remember, Jesus says, hey, disciples, I desire to eat the Passover. They're still all in the Passover, all in the sacrificial system. It keeps going on and on and on. But now Jesus Christ, he is the mediator of a better covenant. It's a covenant that doesn't just cover our sins. It deals with them forever. Now, we need to look just briefly at this idea of of forgetting. And to do this, we're going to go back to Jeremiah 31, and then we're going to jump to the book of Revelation. All right, but I want, I want you to see this connection. Jeremiah 31, verse 34, the last part of the New Covenant, the very last sentence of that verse, there's a parallelism there. It says, For I will forgive their iniquity, comma, and I will remember their sin no more. There is a connection between forgive and remember. How, how does God forgive and, and not remember our sin? Does God really forget? Is He just a forgetful God and has it just gone away? And, it, and that's not quite correct because what Jeremiah is drawing our attention to, what the author of Hebrews is drawing our attention to, is it's better. What's better is not that God forgets, but that God forgives our sins because they have been dealt with. All right, Revelation chapter 20, you get down to verse 12, and he talks about, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And so as we get to this, we see that there's two categories of books. One called the book of life, singular, and the other just says books were open. It it, it could be two, it could be a thousand, okay? It just says books. And the difference is what is in the books. What is in the book is a list of names, What is in the books, right? Verse 12. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. One book, names. Books, deeds. Actions. What people had done. Jump down to verse 14. Actually, verse 13, excuse me. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Where was what they had done written? In the books. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, Gary, what is your point here? Here's my point. The book that has names only has names. It's the names of believers. It is the names of people whose sins have been forgiven. Your name goes into the Lamb's Book of Life. Because you have been forgiven of your sins through the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross. The book that has all the names, or excuse me, has all the deeds, doesn't have names because their sins are still before God. And in that case, he remembers their sins. Why are our sins not remembered? They're not remembered because we've been forgiven. And the only way to get into the book of life is through the sacrifice of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So on that day, when we stand before God, and remember, everybody will stand before God, believer and unbeliever. But on that day, a believer is not standing before God to be judged according to what they have done. We stand before God covered in the blood of Christ, who has sanctified us, completed us, made us perfect, and forgiven us of our sins so that we can stand before Him. Everybody else in the book, or the book's, who stand before God, are going to be judged. And God's going to go down the list, and he's going to look at everyone. And what he's going to notice is that nowhere in the books has the blood of Jesus been applied to their sins. And their sins are remembered before God. And as they are remembered before God, that separates them from all eternity, where it says they are thrown into the lake of fire and they are thrown into the lake of fire in their unforgiveness with no blood being applied to their sins to, cover, to, to, to forgive them. It's just amazing that Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross for our sins, forgives us so that instead of a record of our sins in heaven, it's just a record of our name. And we show up, and he goes down the list, and he says, Gary Michael Sanders, here's your name. The blood of Jesus forgave you of your sins. That's something to be excited about. At the same time, it, just, it reminds us of what it took for us to be able to get in heaven. But then lastly, Jesus' sacrifice it's sufficient to invite you to the table. This morning you look up and see the table, and I think Debbie and Cheryl did that. Just beautiful. But I want you to look beyond the beauty for just a moment and and, and notice something. And and this is not going to be a a really deep theological truth. This is just going to be a matter-of-fact statement. It's a table. Right? It, 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 it's a table. It's not an altar. It's not an altar. There are no animals in the back waiting to be brought, off, brought out and slaughtered before the altar. It's a table. With the bread and the juice and just the fact that it is a table and not an altar, and that there's no bleeding of sheep or making noise of goats in the background reminds us that there is no longer any sacrifice necessary to deal with sin. There's nothing. His sacrifice was sufficient. So His sacrifice is sufficient to bring us to the table so that when we look at the table, what are we doing? We're looking back and remembering the sufficiency of His sacrifice. The recognition of Him as Lord and Savior. The recognition that He, through His blood and through His body, did, in fact, inaugurate the new covenant. That we are new covenant people. We are not old covenant people. We are new covenant people. We are people whose sins have been taken away, who's been made holy, who's been made perfect, who's been forgiven of our sins. And the table preaches that truth. The table tells us and reminds us that Jesus' sacrifice and his sacrifice alone is sufficient that we don't need anything else. And so when we worship this morning, we're going to proclaim the sufficiency of his sacrifice, the sufficiency of what he did in the back to redeem us and forgive us of our sins to make us God's people, and the sufficiency of the promise to come that we will live with him, and one day we will see him face to face. And the truth of God is our God and we are his people will become the reality that we long for today.
1: You've been listening to the Gary Talks About God podcast. Are you looking for a church? Well, Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church is a community of believers who exist to glorify God and see transformed lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can find us on the web at www.redbankmbc.com. Also, come visit us on Sunday at 8104 Red Bank Road in Germantown, North Carolina. Did you like this podcast? We put one out each and every week, so don't forget to subscribe. We hope this has been a blessing to you, and we thank you for listening.